When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 55, and we are recording on November 8th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. All right. It's Tuesday. <laughs> We're both, like, out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just got back from Wordstock. It's election day, and we have Book Riot Live this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we both got up super early and, and went to the polls and did that whole thing, and so I'm just like deep in my anxiety feelings. About, <laughs> I'm gonna have the news on for the rest of the day on mute just for because I'm a masochist. Yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I went straight from the, my polling place to the grocery store where I bought ice cream and potato chips because yes. <laughs> yes, I'm planning did. to eat some feelings later. Um, so we'll my, see. Um, obviously, since it's election day, my kids are out of school, so they're oh, in the gosh. living room. So if you hear any sounds that resemble, you know, like pro wrestling or something. <laughs> It's my children trying to kill each other while I'm on this show. So, you know, apologize in advance if that happens. All right. So since Book Riot Live is this weekend, this is your, like, last shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Use code JAZZHANDS to get $20 off at bookriotlive.com or just show up on the day and we will be delighted to see you. It's November 12th and 13th. It's here in New York City. It's going to be so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Some much needed fun, I think. After, For all of us. <laughs> yeah, after this incredibly stressful year. Uh, so, that's my story about Book Riot Live. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like I said, this is a personalized reading recommendation show. So, how it works is you send us your reading recommendation requests. They can be for you, for a gift, for your book club, um, for another person. doesn't matter. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or drop your questions into the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Uh, If it's time sensitive, please do note that in the subject line or at the beginning of the question so that we can try to answer your question before you need it. Um, Also, we might email you your answer if it's a a question that we've gotten before that we've answered on the show already. Um, We will answer you via email so you don't have to wait. Okie dokie. So we're going to read the first question, do our first sponsor, and then we will get going. Onward. Okay, first question, well, it's a two-part question, but since we've answered the second part, we're just going to do the first part. So, this question is from Louisa. Uh, the request is, I'm, I'm a psychologist studying to be a family therapist. In order to get this degree, I need to write a thesis, and I am inclined to write about family relationships in fiction. So I wanted a recommendation of books with families. I have already read Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, and The Nest is on my radar. Since I am Brazilian, if the books were available in ebook form, that would be of great help, since buying hard copies from other countries may take up to four months to arrive. Boy, that's a long time. Uh, okay, so we will have recommendations for Louise in a minute, but first, our first sponsor is Madison Reed who make really nice, like, salon-quality at-home 
hair coloring kits. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big fan of at-home hair coloring. (laughs) I've, like, never been good at going to get my hair cut regularly or, like, to do anything fancy with it. Um, But, man, if I see, like, a good-looking color in the drugstore on the, you know, way to the checkout counter, I was always more likely to buy it than not. Um, Although now I do rainbow colors, so, you know, that's a little bit different. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Madison Reed uh, has uh, really great quality ingredients. They use Keratin, argan oil, which is my personal best friend as a curly-haired girl, um, and ginseng root extract to make sure that your hair is protected during the dyeing process. They do not use ammonia or parabens and all of those crazy things that are bad for your hair when you're dyeing it. So yeah, really high quality in-home hair color. And the thing I like a lot about their website is that you can answer this little like quiz and put in, you know, your hair tones and skin tones and, you know, what you're looking for. And then it'll recommend shades to you and you can pick based on their recommendations, which is really handy because I have always struggled a little bit with like, well, which exact shade of hair color do I want? Uh, So they make it nice and easy for you. So you can find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and you can get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the code booked b-o-o-k-e-d so that's madison-read.com and use code booked to get 10% off free uh 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit thanks so much for sponsoring the show okay um I guess I'll go. <laughs> yeah, you go. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to co-sign everything I never told you. Um, mm-hmm. It's awesome. Also, the nest is really great. So those are good picks. So so my other uh, selection for you for family fiction is Land of Love and Drowning by Tiffany Unique, which is a multi-generational family epic saga that takes place in the Virgin Islands. Um, it starts in the early 1900s. I think it's 1915 or 1916, the year, whatever year it was. Um, when the Virgin Islands went from being uh, Danish, whatever, like a Danish colony to being under American rule um, in the early uh, 20th century. And then it follows a family over the course of uh, 60 or 70 years. So you get three generations. Uh, At the beginning of the book, the Virgin Islands are in the middle of that transfer. So it's like, you know, you you open in the middle of that event. Um, And then at the same time, you're following a ship that sinks in the Caribbean Sea. um, And the man... the, the patriarch of this family that you're following is on that ship. And so he dies and he leaves two uh, daughters behind and also a half-brother that he had with, like, his side family. Um, so it's not just a family, gener- you know, a multi-generational epic. It's also, like, very complicated because these two sisters don't know uh, about their brother, their half-brother, for a long time. And then all of the, the three siblings have their own drama and family situations that they have to deal with, um, both as children and then as adolescents and then as adults. And then you follow that along with the kind of, not growing up, but like the evolution of the Virgin Islands themselves as they go from being Danish to being American. So it's uh, it was compared a lot to... Um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, because there's it's got a couple elements of like magical realism in it a little bit. Um, also, there is, as you know, sometimes comes with super complicated family situations. There's things that require maybe some trigger warnings here. There's some um, abuse, some sexual abuse, um, and it's just tough. You know, <laughs> like it's very it, it tackles a lot of difficult um, issues that that families can. Uh, have to deal with, including, uh, but not limited to, you know, long lost siblings that you didn't realize your father had. And it's very upsetting because you maybe worshipped him and he died young and, you know, you didn't know any better. So there's a lot of um, 
a lot of heartbreak. But it's such it's so beautifully written, and the setting is lovely. Um, Tiffany Unique is an amazing writer. So that's The Land of Love and Drowning by Tiffany Unique. All right, my first pick for you just came out in October. I can finally recommend it. It's The Wangs vs. the World by Jade Chang. I love this book, and I'm super excited because she's going to be at Book Riot Live. Um, it's about a Chinese immigrant family in America, and the story is that Charles Wang, who is the father slash patriarch figure um, who came to America to make his fortune and did, um, he built like a cosmetics empire, but it is, I want to say 2008 in the book, and the economy is collapsing and he has gone bankrupt. Um, and his family doesn't really know what is happening with the finances. So they're all just kind of like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and he decides to gather his, he's got three children and his second wife, um, his first wife died. And uh, so he's got, he's got his uh, two teenagers and his um, and their stepmother in the car, and they're driving to meet his oldest daughter, who has her own house in New England, uh, and they're driving from L.A. So it's a cross-country family road trip, which is always, like, that's a thing I love. Um, and it is so funny. Jay Chang is hilarious. Uh, Charles Wang is kind of a jerk. Like, he's a jerk. He's, like, he's very entitled. He thinks he knows everything about everything. <laughs> he is very much, like, impressed with himself. Like, he's, I mean, he's a pretty classic, like, self made businessman type um, and the way that he interacts with his children the way his kids are like Andrew is I think his name is Andrew he's in college um, and then Grace who is like a style Instagram blogger in high school and is like obsessed with like her social standing and her you know correct outfits and fashion and all of these things um, have just like A they're used to being rich and B they just have no idea what's going on and so uh, they there are a lot of hijinks um and I also really love the oldest daughter Sana who is just like really kind of trying to figure out what she wants out of life in terms of a family uh she's got this on again off again boyfriend and then a new relationship and maybe that's going to stick around and maybe it's not and she is trying to find her own sort of family relationships as all this stuff with her immediate family is going on so there's a lot of really good interfamilial intergenerational interactions that I think will be uh definitely interesting to look at from like a psychology point of view and it's just an absolute delight to read so that is the wangs versus the world by jade chang y'all i just realized that i only picked one for this question because <laughs> it was, was a two-part <laughs> i know i totally blanked out it was a two-part question but the second one we're not answering on the air because it, it's one that we've answered before so we were just going to leave show notes for her and so I totally neglected to, like, my brain just went, oh, there's two questions, so I only need one for each. And then I just didn't pick the second one. So we're going to stick with Land and Love and Drowning. So that was my, like, <laughs> solid wreck for this question. Double and I apologize pick. for my complete total brain fart there. I don't know what happened. I do know what happened. It was a brain fart. That's what happened. Well, we kind of, I feel like we share my second pick, right? You've read it. Oh, yes. I love this book. Yeah, okay, good. And so we'll just, like, share Thank you. It. No problem. <laughs> Okay, so my second pick is Shelter by Jung Yun, which came out also this fall. Oh, no, it was March. Man, I can't keep track of when things came out this What's year. What's a day? What is um, time? So it's about a man named Kyung Cho, who is a young father, um, and they are having, him and his wife, who is white, uh, her name is Jillian, are having some pretty classic, you know, family troubles, their mortgage is underwater, and they don't know how they're going to continue making payments, but they don't want to sell the house, and they have a kid, they have to try to make decisions about that, and then a few miles away, uh, Kim's parents 
are, um, they live there, they live a few miles away, but they're kind of estranged. And then a horrible home invasion happens to his parents, and they end up in the hospital. And now he's like, back in touch, uh, because of, of course he is, and trying to deal with the aftermath of this terrible thing that has happened to them. Um, I will warn you at this point, this book is really violent, at least to start with, and it's hard, it's an, it's some hard going. Um, not an easy read. Yeah, no. But there is, and it's very tense, and then, you know, the, the mom and dad move in with them, and everybody's, like, got to deal with all being under the same roof, and so there's cultural tensions and there's you know family tensions and all kinds of stuff going on um so it's a really intense deep dive into like family violence basically like what it is like to grow up in a very you know frightening child with a very frightening childhood and then have like distanced yourself from your parents and then have to have them back in your life uh so dark but definitely follows the you know fits as a family novel um so i'm sure there's a lot of psychologically interesting things in here (laughs) so that's shelter by jung yun it's so good and it's so like page turnery yeah yeah. Which is I love I love that. That's that's like my favorite literary phenomenon is when like you look up and suddenly it's been two hours and like I forgot to make dinner, but right. I've been reading this book and yeah. that's what's happened. Yeah, it's like kind of like a noir family novel is how I yeah. think of it, if that sounds right. Um yeah. yes. and everyone's kind of like the worst, yes. but in this like really fascinating way. Right, anyway. exactly. <laughs> like it's really hard to know who you're rooting for because yeah. they're actually complex characters. Like nobody is, right. you know, a two dimensional cutout of like a, the bad father or the good mother or whatever. Like everybody has issues. Um, and then, Louisa, we're going to direct you via email to the show notes from episode 38 for your Japanese author recommendation requests. Okay, um, so question two is signed Papa's Girl, which I think is super sweet. Uh, so she says, I need help figuring out what book to get my dad for Christmas. His English isn't very good, so he needs something that's not dumbed down, but is easy to understand, so he doesn't have to sit with a dictionary beside him. He prefers nonfiction, but something that's not boring, maybe something to do with crime or something inspirational. Um Okay, so the first book that I picked for you is Stiff by Mary Roach. Her writing style is um, really easy and funny. Uh, she's not, like, in it for the big words or to be or to write, like, overly complex sentences just to impress you. Um, and Stiff, since you mentioned crime, I went with this one because it's, it's not about crime, like, specifically, but it's about what happens to your body or, like, your dead body when you donate it, donate it to science. And a lot of that is kind of wrapped up in crime. Like there's a particular uh, chapter that's about the body farm, um, where if you donate your body to, to the body farm, um, they will put it like out in the woods under various um, conditions to see how it affects how your body decays so that they can use that information in forensic um, in forensic science uh, to help like solve crime. Um, and so like Mary Roach writes these really just hilarious and fascinating non- narrative nonfiction books where she picks like some random topic and does a really deep dive into it. Um, and so for this one, she like goes to the body farm and has to walk around, you know, in like special shoes because you never know what you're going to step in. I'm sorry. <laughs> and like, you don't want to take it out with you into your car. Um, Accurate. So, I know, right? Like you don't, you don't know what you're going to, you yeah. know, gross. Like, and you don't want to contaminate the samples. <laughs> exactly. And like animals might have moved stuff around and you know, whatever. Um, so there, that has more to do with crime. There are also chapters about um, like what happens to your body if you donate it to science and it ends up as like a crash test dummy or in like studies that have to do with, um, like parachute testing, which can happen if you donate your body to science. There's also some really interesting things about the practices in funeral homes, like how they prepare bodies for burial. Um, 
So it's a little bit, you know, kind of morbid. But if your dad is into crime or true crime kind of stuff, I don't think it would bother him. And it's all really interesting and relevant to that sort of stuff. Um, and easy reads. So that's Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach. All right. My first pick for your dad is Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking by Malcolm Gladwell. I You'll want to take a quick look through it, but I don't remember the language being difficult. Like, I, I read this a while ago, but Malcolm Gladwell is a very, um, sort of has a very conversational style. And this book in particular is a lot of different sort of, I'm going to call it case studies, but that's not exactly right. It's stories about people who have used their intuition in really interesting ways. And obviously the book is about the power of intuition um, and all of the different ways that decision makers utilize it to like get them to quick decisions without having to overthink things. Um, and, and like, how does intuition work? Like, w- what is it that can allow, you know, a very well-trained art historian to look at a sculpture for the first time and know immediately whether it's fake or real? Um and so it's kind of stories like that about professionals who use intuition in the course of their work. Uh, you mentioned inspirational, and I found this book very interesting uh, and sort of like reassuring in a way that like, yeah, you can trust, you can sometimes trust those gut instincts. Like if it's a thing that you've been thinking about a lot, a lot, and you have a lot of history and experience with it, you can sometimes make these really good snap judgments. Uh, and so I think that, and then also it talks about, of course, how sometimes intuition can go wrong. Um, so I think it's interesting. There's a lot of information, but I, it's not super sciencey or super like statistical. It's more about people's stories and how that tells us a bigger picture. So it, it's definitely not boring. I thought it was pretty interesting, and I think the the writing style will work for this. So that is Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay, my second one is An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield, and I picked this for the other um, categories that he might be interested in, inspirational uh, stuff. This is also uh, really easy to read. There's, It's not like complicated writing or anything like that. It's a memoir. Chris Hadfield was a Canadian, what not was, is a colonel and a Canadian astronaut who spent, I think, a year, like a really long time in the space station um, like two years ago, and he became sort of virally famous. Like on, the, he became like internet famous when he uh, with a series of YouTube videos he did about life in the space station, like how astronauts cut their hair and how astronauts make peanut butter and jelly, and like what happens if you start crying in space. Um, and he did a cover of Space Odyssey. Um, the David Bowie song that, that went like was everywhere when he did it. So he made he made like space kind of cool again in like a really nerdy way because he's like this dad with this great mustache and I just love him so much. Um, so this memoir is his kind of really inspirational journey of how he became an astronaut, um, which is especially difficult if you're coming from another country that's not, you know, America, because America has NASA and he was a um a NASA astronaut. So coming in, he had to be like extra great, you know, to compete with all the Native American, not Native American, that came out totally wrong, but you know what I'm saying? Like Americans who were trying to become astronauts. Um, and so it's an interesting inspirational book because it's it's not like positive thinking or anything like that. He's coming at it from an astronaut's perspective, which is much more like actually what you need to do is imagine the worst possible thing that could ever happen in your life and then work backwards from that step by step figuring out how to prevent it or what to do if that happens. And that's how astronauts solve problems. And that's how astronauts deal with crises. Um, And that's how they're trained to think so that when they go into space, no matter what happens, they're prepared for pretty much any eventuality so they don't die. (laughs) Um, And so it's less about, you know, the inspiration of like, visualize what you want and more like, 
actually be smart and work hard and like do the thing, uh, which I really appreciated. That's kind of a different perspective for an inspirational book. But at the same time, um, his life is really fascinating. So you're not just in it for like the platitudes. And I'm a bit of a space nerd. So I thought all that stuff was really fun. So that's an astronaut's guide to life on Earth by Chris Hadfield. Okay, my second pick for your dad is an oral history of Muhammad Ali. It's called Muhammad Ali through the eyes of the world. And the editor is Mark Collins. And I read this book this year uh, after the newest uh, Rocky movie came out. Um, <laughs> yes, <and very> good. <laughs> yes, yes, because that's, that's how I roll. Um, and this book is great. And first of all, it's an oral history. So it's all different. It's basically transcriptions of interviews that this guy did with a ton. I mean, it's 50 different people who knew or were involved in some way with Muhammad Ali. Um, and so they all have different stories to tell about him. And some of them are about his childhood and some of them are about his time Um as a political figure during the Vietnam War, and then some of them are about when he was older and has, I think, Parkinson's, right? Yeah. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, the charity work that he does. And so it's really a full look at his whole life. Um, Some of the people in the book are people, are other boxers he fought against. Um, Some of them are, like, you know, photographers who were there to cover the rumble in the jungle. Or, like, you know, I think... um, yeah, his daughter is in there. Like, it's just a ton of people uh, who have, like, thoughts or experience with Muhammad Ali. Um, and so I just thought it was fascinating. It's a really, you know, complex portrait of a of a person who all of us know um, just kind of because he's such a <laughs> cultural icon. And, like, what was this person like? And they don't all agree, which I think is also really interesting. Um and because it is an oral history, it's very conversational. It's everybody has, you know, their own style of talking and that really comes across. So I think that would be a good reading experience. A lot of variety. It's just a fascinating book. I mean, I think honestly, everybody should read it. It's so good. Um, but and it's oral history done really, really well. So that is Muhammad Ali through the eyes of the world by uh, edited by Mark Collins. Oh, and it's, is it my turn? Yes, it is. Okay. Still you. Yeah. Still me. Question three <laughs> is from Christina from Denmark. Woohoo. Uh, uh, says, I hope you can help me with a Christmas present for my husband. My husband is not an avid reader, but when he can find the time, like when on vacation, he likes to read. He has very broad taste and has read the Millennium Trilogy, all the books in the Song of Ice and Fire series, but he always goes back to Paul Oster and has read most of his books. Last Christmas, I gave him Colorless Tsukuru Tazaki and His Years of Pilgrimage by Murakami and The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell, and he enjoyed those as well, even if they weren't all as good as Paul Oster. <laughs> this question cracks me up. Uh, Paul Oster is like such a random... I know! <laughs> I mean, Paul Oster is great, but... He is. Yeah. Um, the question goes on. He did not enjoy Dead Simple by Peter James. He found that the plot was just too thin. Some of the TV shows he likes are Mr. Robot, Homeland, The Leftovers, and The Last Man on Earth. All right, so I'm just going to keep talking. My (laughs) first pick is The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker, which is, I think, a really interesting... uh, It's it's technically, I guess, a... Is, is it a, is it a, like, I guess, I guess it's science fiction. Um, the, pre, but it's kind of inexplicable. Okay, I'm going to tell you what happens. It is, it's very, like, difficult to classify. Yeah, it's hard to classify. So it's about an 11-year-old girl named Julia um, who wake up to discover that the, rotati- the rotation of the Earth has begun to slow. And so the days and nights are growing longer and longer. Gravity is weird. Like, the environment is changing based on this. Um, and scientists are, like, trying to figure out what's going on. It's not super 
it's not really happening. And and Julie's 11, so, you know, she's, like, old enough to know what it used to be like, but young enough that, like, her whole life now is going to be oriented around this new situation. And um, she's telling the book sort of looking back. Like, it's a very To Kill a Mockingbird story. Like, you know, why remember the summer when I was 11 when suddenly the earth stopped rotating normally? (laughs) So so it's got this very literary feel to it, uh, which is why I picked it. Uh, I think there's a lot of, like, very small, mundane moments that are used to tell the story that remind me of, like, you know, the works of, authors like Paul Oster, who are really focused on like the everyday um, and turning that into literature. And so this is that with a twist because he's from, you know, your list. He also likes science fiction and fantasy. Uh, so I thought this was just a really fascinating book. It's good both on the character level and on the like, what would happen if suddenly like a day lasted a whole week and then night lasted a whole week. And then, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about. Uh, so that is The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. Okay, I really kind of fixated on the list of TV shows that you gave that he likes, the Mr. Robot and the Leftovers and Last Man on Earth and all that. And it seems there's like a gritty post-apocalyptic sci-fi dude thing going on. So I kind of ran with that here. Um, So my first pick is Zone 1 by Colson Whitehead, which is um, such a weird zombie novel. Uh, It's post-apocalyptic. The main character's name is Mark. And in this world, there's been a plague that, you know, like a zombie plague. Um, Most people have died and society's trying to rebuild. So it is like actually post-apocalyptic. Like all that stuff has already happened. People are trying to um, rebuild society. The provisional government is based out of Buffalo and New York. And their main goal or their first main goal to kind of rebuild the country is to resettle Manhattan for humanity, to clean out all the zombies and resettle Manhattan. So they've got kind of an army and the army has reclaimed the all what they call Zone One, which is the island of Manhattan south of Canal Street. And so they've got um, pockets of not pockets, but like teams of civilian volunteers that they arm who go literally like building to building um, cleaning out whatever zombies are left were like trapped in offices or whatever and couldn't get out, but are still in there. And Mark is one of those. He's a civilian volunteer who helps clean out zone one. And so we're following him as he does all of that. Like him and his team of, I think three or four other people are going building to building, shooting zombie stragglers. Um, And then you, you flash back to Mark's um, like fight to live in the first couple of days and weeks after the outbreak and how he survived and got to where he is now. The difference, what, like, makes this book kind of different from other zombie novels is that Mark is, like, totally ironic. And this is true of most of Colson Whitehead's books, I feel like, but, like, he's just wry, and the, the book is very nihilistic, and his voice is super ironic. He doesn't have, like, there's very little emotion happening in this character, despite the fact that he is in a very emotional situation, everyone he knows is dead, um, and he spends his day shooting people who aren't people anymore, which you think would be, like, traumatic. But he's just wearing this, like, armor of irony. So it's less of, I mean, it's, you know, obviously about zombies, but it's also about, like, how we handle crises. And they have a word for it in the book or a term. They call it post-apocalyptic stress disorder. Um, so obviously there's some, like, our military um, parallels. Uh, and, yeah, it's just, like, 
it's very um, character driven, uh, not not necessarily as plot driven as a lot of post apocalyptic post apocalyptic novels are, um, and it's very thinky, like cerebral and weird and funny in a in a really like dry, sarcastic, hopeless kind of way. Um, so that's Zone One by Colson Whitehead. Yeah, I co-signed that pick. Uh, okay, my second one is also a, well, it's hard to tell if we're in a post-apocalyptic scenario or just an alternate reality. It's The Chimes by Anna Smale, I think is how you say that. Um, it takes place in a London where people can't form memories, like, in the normal brain way. They either have to, like, have the memory sort of embodied in an object or try to... In- intrinsically had try to do like body memory where you like drill on something so long it just becomes second nature um there's no writing and the primary metaphor of this world is music um so it like everything revolves around music including the way that the the characters themselves talk like so things happen subito instead of suddenly or lento instead of slowly like there's uh, the author is also a classical musician and so there's all of these like classical music terms that have become sort of slang or just part of everyday conversation sprinkled throughout so it's very um it's a super detailed world building exercise, and I thought she succeeded really, really well with it. Even if you aren't musically trained, it you know context clues, you'll be fine. And the story <laughs> is good. Um, it's about a boy named Simon who ends up in London. He knows that his parents died. He can't quite remember how or why he is in London. Like, he maybe had a mission that his mother sent him on, but he can't remember, and he ends up living with a gang of other kids who, like, mine for this special metal to, to trade, and that's how they're, like, a street gang, and that's how they survive. Excuse me. <clears throat> and, um, and then gradually, uh, he becomes involved with a sort of underground revolutionary plot. Um, and you start to find out why this world is the way it is. And it is so fascinating. I really dug it. It is, um, I like, I, I never thought about sounds in the way that this author writes about them, both as like the, the way that they're beautiful and also the ways that sound can be really, really dangerous and what you could do with sound as a weapon. Like, it's fascinating. So I think it's a, it's a really cool world building exercise and it's a really successful novel. Um, and it sounds like the kind of thing that he might dig. So that is The Chimes by Anna Smale. Okay, my second pick is The Dog Stars by Peter Heller, which is also post-apocalyptic, because that's the thing I'm doing. Um, so the main character is Hig, and he lives in a uh, like an abandoned airport hangar um, with his dog, Jasper, and a another guy named Bangley, who I, I was like tempted to say his friend Bangley, but they're not really friends. They have just like banded together in this post-apocalyptic world. There's a flu pandemic that killed over 99% of the population, and so... Um, Hig has a plane and fuel and a dog and shelter. And Bangley is uh, kind of a sociopathic gun nut. And um, so much so that, like, he's he's set up a trap outside of their home. Like, they live in this hangar, and he's set up, like, a, built, like a, a house outside to lure people in. Um, 
that he thinks are dangerous, like who, people who he thinks are coming, like coming for his guns and coming for his food and, and whatnot. And he set it up in such a way that like the way that the house and the dumpster outside is shaped, it corrals people um, so that he can shoot them like with no questions. And so Hig has, you know, problems with that because he isn't a shoot first, ask questions later gun nut. Um, and so he's like just surviving. Like they've been doing this for years. This is how they have survived together. Um, and then one day when and uh, Higg is sitting in his plane. He hears a radio transmission coming in through the radio of his his little Cessna. Um, and so he hasn't heard from people who aren't, you know, trying to come into his space where he's got like a garden and weapons and stuff like that. He, he hasn't heard from people he doesn't immediately consider to be dangerous in so long that it just like ignites this thing in him where he has to go find out, this find the source of the transmission. So he takes his plane and flies. Uh, leaves um, Bangley there in his airplane hangar with his guns uh, and goes off to find out like what's going on in the world and he's either gonna go on a suicide mission because he takes you know supplies and stuff but he goes past the point uh, where he could return and um, so he's either gonna die or he's gonna find other people and like try to live life and so that's what he does and I'm not gonna you know no more because spoilers but um, it's very affecting and it's a short kind of book for this sort of thing like I feel like usually post-apocalyptic novels are um, like long and intense and there's a little world building but that's not really what this is about because he lives like in the middle of nowhere and most of the book takes place either there or like in his plane so um, you yeah read it and see if he finds what he's looking for so that's The Dog Stars by Peter Heller is it me? yes it is okay <laughs> <laughs> so, woo. we're Tuesday. doing great <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we'll get it together next week when I when Book Riot Live is over and I don't have this election like hanging over my head I'm sure I'll be Normal. Okay, so a question for us from Jean, and she says, let's see, I'm in need of much-needed book help from you guys. I'm looking for sci-fi or fantasy books that are winter slash cold slash holiday themed from a Geek Girls Forever book group. That's an awesome name for a book group also. Um, my main caveat is that they need to be available on audio. Any suggestions you have are appreciated. Okay, um, I'm just going to keep going. So both of mine are available on audio. I went in kind of two different directions with these picks. So my first one is Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin, which is like hard science fiction. Um, and this takes place on a planet named Winter. So there you go. And it's um, the main character is kind of a an emissary. He's a human who has come to the planet of winter. He's not like first contact with the civilization, but he's like first official contact from like the, you know, galactic federation kind of a thing. Um, so he's like going to this planet, this, um, frozen ice ball of a planet to try and convince them and their government and their civilization to join this intergalactic kind of federation. So, you know, for like the purposes of furthering the, whatever, benefit of all living creatures and whatnot. So he does that, and he, he goes to this planet, and he kind of gets involved in their weird political strife. Um, he's the only human most of them have ever encountered. And the difference between humanity, as the main character understands it, and how these people who live on, on winter function is that they are ambisexual. Um, like, they most of the year, they have no gender and no biological sex. They are neuter. And then they go through what they call chemer, or chemere, I don't know how it's pronounced, um, which is kind of like heat. And they can, they become either male, biologically male or biologically female so that they can reproduce. And as a human and a man, 
this, the, I wish I could remember his name, the main character, the protagonist, whatever, um, like super struggles. He struggles really hard with trying to understand this culture because since they have no um, concept of like traditional, as we consider it, masculinity or traditional as we consider it, femininity, they don't have a lot of those. Like there's no rape. There's no war. There's no real concept of like sexual assault. They don't have a lot of um, the sort of issues that we do, but they have their own entirely separate kinds of issues. And so while they are, while he's like trying to figure out how to function in this society and how their political system works and how to convince them to join this federation, that he also has to survive this planet, which is just a ball of ice, like colder, more snow, more ice, more harsh than anything that we can really conceive of. But Ursula Le Guin conceives of it because her brain is weird and awesome. So that's The Left Hand of Darkness. And it's actually the sixth book in a series, but I haven't read the other ones and I don't really feel like that's necessary. Um, but if you know, if you like it, there are more books out there for you. So that's Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. I didn't realize that it had a number in the Hainish cycle. I guess that yeah, makes I didn't sense. either. <laughs> I think it's but more of like a publication number than anything else, though. Like they're not they're not sequels because I've read pretty much yeah, all of those. I've read other books, but like not in that order, and they, they didn't seem like super connected. No, to me, no. So. I mean, you see certain themes and like planets and maybe references over again, but they're not. Yeah, yeah it's a world, but yes, not like a publication right. order. There yeah. you go. Um. Okay, my first pick, oh, after co-signing Left Hand of Darkness, so good, uh, for you guys is Chimera by David Wellington. It is available on audio. Uh, this book is a sort of super soldier, crimey mystery with some sci-fi thrown in. So it's about a man who is a disabled army vet, uh, James Chase, who's been like kind of, you know, He's on a desk. Uh, he's got, he has, he's an amputee, um, one of his arms. He lost one of his arms in combat. And um, he's like kind of expecting to have a very quiet life. And then all of a sudden, one of his superiors comes to him and is like, so, got a mission for you. Um, and it turns out that these seven uh, sort of super soldiers that the military has been creating in secret have escaped from their facility and are going rogue and like killing people and so uh they decide that james chase is um one of the operatives they want to put put on this case uh for various reasons and um he gets a fancy new like bionic arm and uh he goes off to try to stop these rogue like weird they're kind of creatures like they're not 100 percent human anymore um and he's got a sidekick, a veterinarian, who witnesses uh, one of the escapees, like, in the middle of a crime spree. Um, so she becomes involved in that sense. And she's a veterinarian. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, you know, they're both trying to stop this situation and then also trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, and they, they, the book ends up, like, the final scenes are in the super snowy, like, blizzarded out place that I cannot remember. Is it upstate New York? It's somewhere. They end up somewhere really super snowy. The book takes a place like across America. Like I think at some point they're on, on Mount Rushmore maybe. Um, so it goes all over the place, but it's winter and there's a lot of snow. And I thought it was a really good page turnery, like fun sci-fi mystery sort of book. Uh, I feel like it would make for an enjoyable book group read. There's a lot of characters to talk about at the very least. Um, it plays around with some of those tropes of, like, you know, military experiments on super soldiers gone wrong. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I think it fits the bill. So that's Chimera by David Wellington. Oh, and it's the first in a series, so there's more if you like it. 
Okay, my second pick, I went uh, in the more of the fantasy direction, and it's Young Adult. It's Shiver by Maggie Steifetter, which is the first book in uh, the Wolves of Mercy Fall series? Trilogy? I think it's just a trilogy. Um, yeah. Nope, there's four. Just kidding, I was wrong. There are four. <laughs> so if you like it, there you go. You can continue, and it is available on audio. So this is a werewolf fantasy romance. So the main character's name is Grace. Um, when she was a little girl, like 10 or 11, her and her family were attacked by a pack of wolves, and another wolf, one with like these very noticeable yellow eyes, kind of dragged her away and saved her life and her parents. Um, and so her house borders the back of the forest. Uh, and so she can see these wolves uh, occasionally as she's grown up and is now a teenager in high school and kind of doing her thing. Um, and she still sees occasionally she like catches glimpses of this yellow eyed wolf that saved her all of this, you know, years ago. Um, unbeknownst to her, at least at the beginning of the book, the yellow eyed wolf is a boy named Sam. Um, and so he's a werewolf. And the way that the, the way that like, lycanthropy functions in this novel is that in the summer the wolves turn into human beings and then in the winter they go back into being wolves except they have no memories of their other lives so like when they're wolves they do not remember their humanity um and um so oh and also when they hit a certain age they turn into wolves and then never go back um so this is like the shape-shifting is just sort of a thing they do in childhood and adolescence so the, they meet Sam, who is this wolf, this yellow-eyed wolf who saves her, and Grace meet one year when he is a teenager and is, like, going, you know, she finds him um, kind of injured, I think shot uh, on her, in like, in her backyard, and, like, brings him into her house to save him, realizes almost immediately who he is because of the eye thing, you know, the yellow eye thing. Um, and so then they start to get, you know, kind of get to know each other, and, of course, they have this romance, except winter is coming. Thank you, George R.R. R. Martin. And Sam knows that this is his last summer, but he doesn't tell her. So he knows that when he turns into a wolf in this, when the winter comes, that's going to be like it. Um, and so you're kind of like following their whatever, like star-crossed romance as he tries to figure out a way to stay human. Um, and then uh, I'm not going to keep going because spoilers. So yeah, it's, um, it's compared to Twilight sometimes, but that's really because like there's love and feelings and a werewolf. And that's really it. Like I don't, I don't see a lot of parallels between the two other than, you know, supernatural stuff happens and there's kissing. So that's Shiver by Maggie Steifetter. All right, my second pick is also a YA fantasy. <laughs> it's like we had a theme. Um, and it is technically the second book in the Darkest Rising series. It is The Darkest Rising by Susan Cooper. This has always been one of my favorites of that whole series. Um, next to The Great King. I don't know. I love me some Will Stanton, you guys. I just, he is so great. Such an enjoyable character. Uh, so in this book, um, Will is turning 11 and he is uh, sort of a, an old soul, like literally an old soul and a young child. He knows about things um, that are more than just like, you know, what a normal 11-year-old knows. And he also knows that he's part of this like pretty epic battle against the forces of darkness. And it's Christmas time. And, you know, he's like trying to have a normal family time with his a normal holiday time with his family, um, except that he also has to like fight off this b terrible black rider. And there's all of these things that are going to go wrong. And he has to find these six different signs. Um, and, you know, basically he gets a big quest right around Christmas time. So I feel like there's a lot of great holiday cheer slash 
demonic forces. Uh, <laughs> and and who doesn't love Susan Cooper? Like I also feel like I I even if some of you have read it before, this I these series this isn't a great reread. I don't know. May, and I also really do like to do some rereads in the holiday season for book clubs because like who has the time? Mm-hmm. Like it's so busy. Sometimes a reread can be really nice and comforting. Um so that is my suggestion for you guys. Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Will Stanton, five ever. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we move on to our fifth question, we're going to do our second sponsor. And this is actually kind of like a dual title sponsorship. They're both by Alexander Chi, and the sponsor titles are Queen of the Night and Edinburgh. So you probably heard about the Queen of the Night. We talked about it a lot on Book Riot when it came out. Um, it was much loved by Rebecca and Liberty on the I Young love Books it, podcast. too. I love it. Sorry. And Jen. <laughs> um, and it was one of the most anticipated, you know, novels of the year, really. And it was, you know, it was in the New Yorker, in the New York Times Book Review. Um, the Queen of the Night, it's set in Paris during the Second Empire and is about uh, Liliette Byrne, who's a, you know, kind of follow her rise from courtesan to like opera diva. Um, the Washington Post called it brilliant. It's like this really blazing kind of portrait of a woman who has like super cool secrets and um, is kind of, you know, creating her own fate. Um, and with the success of Queen of the Night, his publisher has reissued Edinburgh in paperback, um, which was his first novel. And it's a coming of age novel. Juno Diaz called it incomparable because of its bravery and wisdom. And it's a novel that never stops haunting. So Queen of the Night um, was actually based or is inspired by the life of Jenny Lynn, who was like this hugely successful um, singer. Uh, And so he, Alexander Chi, sort of took her character and populated her story with like Napoleon III and his Spanish wife, uh, whose name was Eugenie. Um, And it has that... Same sort of feeling as, like, Tipping the Velvet or Crimson Petal and the White, that, like, historical novel where the setting is old and it's very richly imagined and and super well-researched, but all of the themes feel very, like, new and sexy and relevant and kind of subversive um, and interesting. And it's much beloved uh, among the... um, contributors at Book Riot. And so if you have read Queen of the Night, go back to his backlist to his first novel, Edinburgh. If not, check them both out. Um, I feel like you could probably just read them in any order. Um, Although Queen of the Night is like doing, it's still like doing so well. Um, And I just got the paperback and I'm excited to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I've got, Uh, it's on my nightstand. So I'm probably, I actually was thinking about bringing it with me as like my starting it on the plane to Book Riot. It's a good idea. It's a good plane book. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Go read Queen of the Night and and Edinburgh, excuse me, by Alexander G. Both available wherever wherever books are sold. Okay, question five. Oh, that's you. It's me. Uh, does not have a name, so not sure who it's from. But the oh, questioner is. says, in a month, my seventy year old seventy one year old dad is having knee replacement surgery and will be laid up for weeks, if not months. So he's gonna need some reading material. About my dad, he loves the outdoors, fishing, hunting, just doing chores outside, like mowing the lawn, and I'd call him a rags to riches businessman. He reads pretty voraciously, but almost exclusively local newspapers and magazines like The Week and Bloomberg. He's definitely not a fiction reader. Oh, how I've tried. His interests include military, business, and finance, and current events. He loves TV reality shows like Gold Rush and Deadliest Catch. My gut is leading me towards something like Mary Roach's Grunt, something nonfiction but very readable. Any other ideas for him? 
Uh, yes. So I'm going to co-sign Mary Roach. Grunt is great. I read that earlier this year. It's a really interesting and entertaining and also sometimes scary look at military science. Uh, and so I, I think you would love it. Um, I'm also going to recommend basically the entire works of Michael Lewis to you and your dad. Uh, because Michael Lewis is, he's the guy who wrote The Big Short, um, Moneyball, Liar's Poker, Flash Boys. Like, he's written all of these books about both current events and business and finance. So I think, like, it's, if, if your dad has not read him before, this Michael Lewis is, like, a maid for your dad. Um, as you re- might remember, The Big Short, uh, because it got made into a movie, is about um, these four outsiders in high finance who predict the cre- credit and housing bubble collapse uh, and uh, kind of decide to take advantage of it. Um, Moneyball is about how baseball became... Uh, game of statistics uh, and like the guy who kind of brought this you know like data focus to baseball um so he basically what michael lewis does is he takes like a situation and then finds the person he believes is at the heart of that situation and writes a book around it so it touches on all of these different aspects of like finance and business and also sports and just lots of different things um and i recommend any of them but you know moneyball and the big short were both made into movies so those either of those would be good places to start so again that is the author michael lewis my first recommendation is also an author and not necessarily a particular book but uh bill bryson who is the daddiest of dad Dad dudes. I love him so much. And he's like, all dads love Bill Bryson, I feel like. All it's dads true, and dads it's at true. Heart. Um, he's just so good. Okay. Um, so in particular, since your dad is into, like, the outdoors, I thought In a Sunburned Country, which is Bill Bryson's book about Australia, or A Long Walk in the Woods, which is kind of a memoir slash history about his his very poorly planned hike along the Appalachian Trail of the American East Coast. Um, both of them are great. Either place, you could start with either one. If he's laid up for a couple of weeks, he might even, you know, make it through both because they're really easy reads. But Bill Bryson is dry and funny um, and super knowledgeable. Like, his best books, in my opinion, uh, are travel logs where he uh, goes on, you know, a trip to somewhere. Uh, but while while telling you about, like, interesting things that he sees and, like, what the people are like and what sort of sites he goes to, he also really deftly weaves the history of the the area um, in with like totally random factoids that are really fascinating and weird. So, you know, in a sunburned country, which is his a book about his trip to Australia um, has such fodder for that because Australia's history is bonkers. And also they have so many deadly animals, like everything in Australia can kill you. And so like why people live there, it's just, it's amazing. Um, and so he'll have like, here's a fact about this deadly snake that might just be in your pillowcase, but also here's a fact about how this Australian prime minister who disappeared in the middle of the night was never heard from again and then I went for a walk and it was very nice and everyone was lovely to me like that's how Bill Bryson's books work so they're really really funny um he is not athletic at all so his adventures in the outdoors are always really entertaining um and he's just so like grumpy but in a kind of cheerful way he's like the grumpiest Santa Claus that ever wrote a book about Australia (laughs) so yay so that's Bill Bryson um He's also written, like, if your dad is into really minute studies of history, he wrote a book about the history of the home called At Home, which I really like, which goes through every room in the house and gives you, like, a history of both that room. Like, how did we end up with bedrooms? Like, how did that happen? It's actually very complicated. Um, and also the main kind of furniture. Like, how, how did windows happen? When did indoor plumbing become a thing? Why are beds like that? Um, so I also really enjoy that if you think that he, your dad would be more into, like, 
something inside and less memory. So, yeah, Bill Bryson uh, in a sunburned country and a long walk in the woods. All right, my second pick is a memoir, uh, but it's like an outdoors adventure memoir. It's Dead Lucky, Life After Death on Mount Everest by Lincoln Hall. Uh, this book, I read this when it first came out, and I was just so... Like, it's a page-turner. Um, he Lincoln Hall was part of a group that was climbing... Uh, Mount Everest during a season in which like across the different parties of people who were trying to climb the mountain at this point 11 different people died Um, and he was actually pronounced dead he collapsed like on his way down from the summit from altitude sickness and uh, they like his company his companions were trying to revive him but they basically they had to leave him behind in order to save themselves so he gets left on the side of the mountain his whole expedition thinks he's dead and then he gets discovered the next morning by an American guide uh, like just sitting on a summit ridge alive um so this is the story of how he came to climb mount everest uh, what he remembers from that night that he spent um i think he's like one of the only people to survive overnight without oxygen like that um he lost some fingers like it's it's like it's no joke what happened to him it was a really intense experience and he tells it very well I I found the book really fascinating to read Uh, he's a good like it's like you know getting told a story in a bar by this guy that you just met you're like what I can't believe that happened to you um and there's some really great descriptions of like you know how he trained and like you know, what his wife thought about him going to Mount Everest. And it's got a lot of different pieces to it. And I I really enjoyed the whole thing. So that is Dead Lucky by Lincoln Hall. Okay, my second one, um, I see that you said your dad is into like business and finance. So I thought this one might be interesting. It's Freakonomics by Stephen D. Levitt and Stephen J. Dubner. Um, This is first came out. Ooh, a long time ago, like yeah. early 2000s, but they have done updated versions, so you should be able to, whatever the newest edition is, go with that one, because that's got the most updated statistics and stuff. Um, so Freakonomics is about, the the uh, subtitle is A Rogue Economist Explores the Hidden Side of Everything, and that's really like exactly what it is. So the economists who wrote this book use statistical analysis to find connections between, the, between things that like make no sense on the surface, um, and to answer questions that you had maybe never considered like why do drug dealers who make lots of money often still live with their mom i i don't know (laughs) and he like takes stats like like just hard data and crunches it to find answers to those questions um one of the most fascinating uh, insights in the book that I remember is he is looking at the statistics behind the rate of violent crime in the United States uh, and is looking for kind of the root of that, like how it's dropped since uh, I think the 80s or whatever, or no, before that, the 70s, um, and how it's the rate of violent crime in this country has you know significantly and consistently lowered since this certain point in history a couple of decades ago. And so him and his team were, like, trying to figure out why that was. And then he finds this, like, deep in the data, finds this bizarre connection to Roe versus Wade that turns out to be, like, super fascinating and weird. Um, and it's all like that. He, he looks at politics, uh, political issues, some stuff that doesn't have anything to do with politics at all, like, like sumo wrestling um, and economics and finance and uses statistics and economical prin- and economic principles to find or to like get to the roots of these questions of problems that seem completely unrelated or weird or like why would anyone wonder that at all? But then it turns out to be like you can't stop reading about it. Um, so yeah, everything in it is weird and strange and the title is apt. So that's Freakonomics. 
Uh, a Rogue Economist Explores the Hidden Side of Everything by Stephen D. Levitt and Stefan hmm, J. Dubner. Okay, it's is it me? Yes. Okay, this is from Samira, and she says... Let's see. Um, I have been enjoying your podcast. I hope you can help. We are Muslim Americans, and this political season has been difficult. I have a 14-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter and would like to find literature that shows our faith in a positive light. We've read I Am Malala, and my daughter loves Miss Marvel. Bonus if the, if the setting is in India. Okay, I'll just keep going. Um, I'm so sorry that this is happening, and I hope that after today you won't have to deal with much of this anymore. Um, so, yay! Also, co-sign Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel is awesome. So, my first pick for you is Written in the Stars by Aisha Saeed. This is a YA novel. Uh, it's, like, contemporary, not fantasy kind of stuff. Um, Nayla? Nyla? Nyla, right? I've never said this character's name out loud. Uh, what's that? I think it might be Nyla. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so Nyla um, is a teenage girl. Her her parents are from Pakistan and are very religiously conservative. Uh, but they let her make a lot of choices. She can pick, like, what she wants to be when she grows up. She picks what she wants to study, whether or not she wants to cover her hair, that sort of thing. Um, but the deal is she can do all of those things, but they're going to choose her husband. And they're going to arrange her marriage. She's got... Um, so she does. She like agrees to that initially because you know when you're a kid you're not thinking about like what when you're going to get married that seems so far off but you are thinking about like how you would prefer to take Spanish instead of French like so she is cool with that kind of she chafes against it but as she's getting older um, she's not so into that uh, that idea or that deal so she's not allowed to be friends with boys she's not allowed to date but then she kind of breaks the rules she falls in love with a boy named Saif and she's. Um, getting older, I think getting ready to graduate and has plans to go off to college and to be with this boy that she loves and to like do this thing for her life. Um, and unbeknownst to her, her parents kind of find out. They want to take her to Pakistan. They tell her, we're going to Pakistan. We're going to visit your relatives. It's just going to be a couple of weeks. You'll familiarize yourself with your culture. Um, then we'll come back and go on with our lives. Turns out that it's actually a trip that's taking a couple of months and they have found her husband and want her to get married. Um, she's like 17 and they have arranged this marriage. So she is, of course, devastated um, and doesn't know what to do and is kind of trapped by this whole situation. And so she kind of is like depending on Saif, this boy she loves, to come save her. But, you know, he's in the U.S. and she's not. She's in Pakistan. Um, and so the question I mean, this the, this book is, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of questions about destiny and traditional cultures. Of course, arranged marriage is not at all, like, specific to Islam or to Pakistani culture. And there's a, actually a note at the end of the book from the author who is Muslim about how, that particular fact. So she's not trying to portray that tradition or the religion, which is her own, in any sort of negative light. It's just the thing by which she's analyzing or thinking about how you deal with conservative parents, how you deal with parents whose religious beliefs manifest in a way that yours don't. Um, and the culture it's, is portrayed in a positive way, except for this one particular thing, which is not culturally specific. So um, it's just so, it's like, oh, your heart, like right in the feels. And there's a lot to talk about here. Um, and Nyla is such like a, she's a good character. Saif is like their their romance is really sweet. I don't know. I just like everything about it is great. <laughs> so it's written in the stars by Aisha Saeed. 
Okay, I just want to quickly direct you to two websites, richincolor.com and diversityinya.com. I referred to both of them when I was looking for books for you. Um, I apologize in advance. Neither of mine take place in India. I just I could not find anything that was age-appropriate. Um, it's a little tricky with a 14-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl, and there's not a ton of middle-grade that's also, like, mature middle grade. It's more geared around nine-year-olds. Anyway, okay. So this was hard. Um, but I did find some that I think will work well for you. Uh, the first one is Does My Head Look Big in This by Randa Abdel-Fattah. Uh, it's about a 16-year-old girl named Amal who decides to wear the hijab full-time. Um, and she, uh, like, this is a choice that she's making personally. Um, and everyone, of course, has a reaction. Her family, her teachers, people on the street. Um, and so she is trying trying to deal with, like, prejudice in school. So, like, she's known these students forever. She's 16. She's been going to school with them for a long time. And then one day, you know, she shows up in full head covering. And, like, how do her friends react? How does the boy that she talks to react? How do her teachers react? Um, and uh, Abdel Fattah is really funny. Um, and so it's not, like, a super... I mean, you'll tell from the cover. It's got, like, you know, multicolored polka dots on it. Um, and the title is Does My Head Look Big in This? Like, she's <laughs> using humor to look at what is a serious religious choice um, and talk about, like, what it is that would make you choose that as a teenager, um, what it's like to be, you know, a person who is wearing a hijab in, in a contemporary world. Um, I think it takes place in Australia. Uh, and it's sort of, like... I think it's pre-9-11. Um, or no, wait, it was published in 2005. Well, anyway, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, anyway, it's, it, but she's taking a humorous but serious look at, like, these questions of faith and how you show your faith and how people deal with you showing your faith, which sounds like it might be relevant to your lives. Uh, so that is Does My Head Look Big in This by Randa Abdel Fattah. Okay, my second one is a middle grade mystery, which is so fun. I love these books. Um, and it's called Saving Cobble Corner by N.H. Senzai. And this, <laughs> it's like fun, right? Like, it's just fun-loving and fascinating. It's about uh, it's about a 12-year-old girl named Ariana. Her parents have just bought a new house, and she gets her own room, which is awesome. But now, uh, before they move, she's, she's sharing her little bedroom with her grandmother and her cousin Layla, who's just come from Afghanistan. Um, Layla's father is in Afghanistan working as a translator for the U.S. Army, uh, which is, of course, very dangerous for him, and so there's a lot of, like, worry about that. But Layla is kind of perfect, especially compared to Ariana, and Ariana finds that super annoying. Um, Layla can cook, she can sew, she, like, recites classic Afghani poetry, she speaks multiple languages. Ariana speaks English and is 12, and, like, finds all this very irritating. Um, and it gets worse when Layla starts becoming friends with Ariana's best friend, Miriam. So then, of course, she feels like, oh, my cousin is, like, taking all the attention of my family, but is also stealing my best friend. Um, so while that's happening, there is a, kind of a bigger problem for their family. Their family runs an Afghani grocery store in a strip mall, um, which is their only source of income. And then another Afghani grocery store is opening at the other end of the mall, owned by a family um, that it turns out uh, the, their family has been infused with since before the, both families immigrated from Afghanistan. So back in Afghanistan, these two families have some kind of feud that has now come, like followed them to, um, to their new home. So before they came to America. And then stuff starts happening. Like there's a flyer that goes up all over the mall saying that the new uh, market 
isn't halal. And then their their store is broken into and a bunch of their stock is destroyed. So there's like retaliations. No one knows what's behind them. And so these kids, these like 12 year old girls team up to like find out, like to get to the bottom of who's responsible for all of this destruction and get to the bottom of the feud between the two families. And as this happens, the two of them realize that like they actually like each other and like there's more to each girl than the other one had assumed. Um, so it's, there's like cultural stuff that's really interesting. Um, the, their faith is presented in a very positive light and is also not like what the book is quote unquote about. The book is about these like two enterprising, competent, awesome little girls like solving this thing. Um, and I like, I have a really big weakness for middle grade mysteries. Like I'm reading one to my kids right now and I just love them. I just love them because they're, they're like fun and clean and like no one dies super violently and in a gory way, which adult <laughs> mysteries are like all, oh, that's all, that's yeah. all we get. Um, so yeah. So check that out. It's Saving Cobble Corner by N.H. Senzai. All right. My second pick for you is one that kept coming up as I did research uh, and looks really great. I cannot wait to read this book. Um, it's called She Wore Red Trent. She wore red trainers by Naima B. Roberts, and they're sort of pitching it as a halal romance uh, for, like, YA middle grade. Um, It's about a boy named Ali and a girl named Amira, um, and she does wear the hijab, and she also has bright red, like, Converse sneakers. Um, And when he first meets her, like, he notices her, and uh, she notices him. Obviously, this is a romance. Um, And so the book is about them coming to know each other, like, not in the American romantic dating way, but, like, in a halal, like, Muslim-American way. Um, Although, does it take place in America? It's, like, it's Western, though. Um, And so, uh, and they both have other things going on in their lives. Like, the story is not just about them, uh, you know, like, flirting with each other in war or whatever but it's about you know Ali has recently lost his mother and he's you know his father has had a religious experience and he's trying to deal with that and then Amira has her own reservations about marriage because her mother has really struggled with relationships Um, and so they're each trying to process their own stuff whilst also you know like trying to find out about each other um so this looks great i'm really excited to read it the reviews definitely made me want to read it even more uh and so that is she wore red trainers by naima b robert okay that's our show Woo! <laughs> we did it <laughs> one step closer to tuesday being over indeed <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening please go rate us on itunes and leave a review you can find us on social media i'm at i'm amanda nelson Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.